This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello all and welcome to episode 252 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Botsko. Like almost always, and I'm joined by the one and only Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am the one and only other person here. So it's what, the second time in as many weeks. It's like the olden days, man. Yeah, more or less. It's, uh, that's my fault because I was on an event last night and now it's uh, 15 off 12 p.m., 15 minutes until midnight, and so others just cannot join us. Other than Matthias, who's in Colorado, what time is it over there right now? Uh, 3.45 in the afternoon, so quitting time. Yep. It's quitting time. <laughs> All right, um, so we're going to have three segments because I have another guest lined up for you, and uh, I pre-recorded that interview with him before. It's Mark Schwitzky from the Hertha-based blog, and obviously we will preview the Hertha game with him, and after we play that clip, Matthias and I will uh, regroup and then discuss the Hertha game from the Dortmund perspective. But before we do go talk about the Bundesliga and the bread and butter business, Matthias, there was a really great game, I want to say. That's a, that's a game, I think, maybe if we look back to the season where we say, well, that was a really, really amazing game. That was a 4-0 win over Atletico Madrid, which is uh, something neither of us has predicted. And I want to say none of you out there who uh, can predict and win uh, matchday flyers um, either predicted a 4 nothing win, even though that's apparently the, the go-to result right now because Dortmund have won uh, or at least scored four times in the last three games. And then there was this Monaco game and then they had another four game win and uh, four goal win and then seven against Nuremberg so it's going well right now Matthias um I don't even have a question so um we're just gonna start with this with a question that I was asking me and still asking myself since the final whistle and that's who's the MVP of this game because honestly I can't pick one. To me, it's too hard. There are too many candidates. Yeah, you know, as far as best player of the match, my gut would say Hakimi. Had he not stolen the ball off of Marco Royce when Royce was just about to score, uh, that was what the hell. That I coach <laughs> under nines, and that was such an under nine moment. That um, it, I was just like, what are you doing? And Marco Royce, you could see him just look at him like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Literally everyone was Marco Royce in that situation. Um, so, everyone watching was like, why yeah. is this happening? Uh, you are offside. You are in my channel. Why are you what? No. 
I, I like how, how they, they somehow mastered to win a corner because the linesman once again didn't spot an offside situation. Yeah, um, but again, I, I would have to say, though, <laughs> Hakimi, all joking aside, Hakimi's probably it. I mean, the pace, the speed, um, the back and forth, uh, the work rate he gave, and of course, uh, the Sancho goal, which was offside. I, I don't really think there's a huge debate whether Sancho was offside or not, but it doesn't really matter. Was Dalton necessarily four goals better than Atletico? No, probably not. Um, also helped by an atrociously bad refereeing performance from Anthony Taylor and his buddies. It was bad. Um, but thankfully it didn't cost Dortmund the game and it didn't cost Atletico the game. What happened was Dortmund, uh, dominated the first half completely. Uh, Atletico, that's as, as passive an Atletico side of as, as I've seen in years. Um, then for, I would say, what, 20 minutes in the second half, Atletico dominated and then Dortmund took over and that was that. They exploited the spaces. And if you give Dortmund that space, I would say they are one of the three best, most deadly, most scary teams on the break in Europe right now. The only other two I would put right in that category are Manchester City and Liverpool. Uh, just with the pace they have, the movement they have, and the goal scoring that they can do without even their probably best goal scorer right now in Paco Alcacer. Uh, but then you throw in guys like Hakimi that are able to move in there. It just... Um, Atletico played exactly into Dortmund's hands, and Diego Simeone said, Dortmund ruthlessly exploited our weaknesses. Um, so all credit to them. And that's what they did. It was, it was fantastic to watch, even though there were a good 15, 20 minutes where, where it was still 1-0, where I started getting rather nervous there in the second half. Yeah, you see, that's what I really like about the Champions League, because... You know, Dortmund walked f over Stuttgart. I don't. I don't even know if we talked about this and if we should talk about it. Probably should, but um, whatever. Uh, <laughs> more importantly, though, um, this is a this is a late game. It's decided soon, and you know the garbage time starts in the twenty fifth minute. And in the Champions League, you know this game is like a seesaw. It's right on the edge. It can go either way with every little detail, you know, it's it's not maybe about the big plays, but, you know, just a, a little detail here, a tackle midfield can go wrong and all of a sudden you're trailing, something like that. And this is what I like about the Champions League because it's excitement, you play against a good opponent and if you prevail like Dortmund did, that's actually saying something about you and your own quality because you did better in the details Obviously, the same counts for Dortmund against Stuttgart, but this time Dortmund just looked very mature with the backline of Hakimi, who is 19, of Zagadou, who is 19, of Diallo, who is, I think, 22, but has played at Mainz, and good old Lukas Piszczek, who is also past his prime, and then uh, Witzel Delaney. It's also not a team that really played much together in a long time because uh, there are a lot of new faces this summer, and then you have youngsters in there like Pulisic, Brun Larsen, and you have Mario Götze who is struggling with himself a little bit, and then of course Marco Royce who's running the show a little bit. And it's just amazing if you think back 12 months 
or 11 or whatever and think back about the Dortmund side struggling to break down Apple and Nicosia where really nothing clicked and they were all speechless afterwards in the mixed zone and Marcel Schmelzer was reaching for words and didn't find them trying to explain how they just cannot for the love of God create a single player or scoring chance by themselves there was no pace there was no there was just nothing and now it just completely substituted a whole nother team, a new face, a stadium that is really electric and it's everything you want in football basically at this moment. Of course, it's still early in the season, but this is exactly where you, you feel everything click into, into the gears and it's, it's, it's just come, coming together at some point eventually within the game. You know, there's this little build up where Dortmund try to figure it out but in the end they just basically waltz over Atletico and to me that's that's just a beautiful game just by following it over 90 minutes and seeing how it plays out so yeah Matthias I don't have a question for you I think you just have to take over from me before I go on the 15 minute monologue and, and take it over from me <laughs> that's perfectly fine <laughs> I you know I was dead wrong about my prediction and thank god you know they're uh, my wife will say I hate being wrong, but uh, there are times I revel in it, and this is definitely one of those times. I I was worried about this because really, Dortmund haven't played anybody super good. I, you could maybe say Leipzig, um, but that was still really really early. But other than that, nobody where you go, ooh, I'm worried. I mean, Monaco, we see what they are now, um, so. That's not the Monaco from last season or two seasons or three seasons ago. Um, and Atletico are actually doing really, really well in La Liga. And, and obviously so far had been uh, perfect in the Champions League. So I was really concerned about it. And knowing how well that team plays and Simeone, how intelligent he is as a manager, also tactically, and how they know how to destroy a game, which it seemed like that that was their intent to strangle Dortmund out of the game. Uh, but it didn't work. Thankfully, Dortmund prevailed. And you just saw all the qualities of Dortmund this season that some of it was there. Some of it's been there for years. You know, speed. Dortmund has been uh, a counterattack, high-speed team for, well, years. Uh, going back to probably Klopp's second season, really. But you put in there kind of that steal in midfield that's been missing for two seasons – uh, and then a defense that, like you said, a backline that's probably more mature, plays more mature than it should. And Piszczek, who's once again finding another second wind or third wind or fifth wind because he has to and he's that dedicated to the team. It was well played. Uh, Atletico, I didn't look at the final statistics, but I know 60, 70 minutes through the match, Atletico had uh, significantly more possession, which Atletico don't like. And I think Lucien Favre set the team up also tactically in a way that, uh, like Simeone said, exploited Atletico's weaknesses. They, they couldn't really do anything with it. Yes, Correa hit the post. Yes, Saul had a great moment and, and hit the post. Uh, Buki had a couple of saves, but uh, Griezmann was non-existent. Diego Costa, aside from a few dirty moments, 
uh, and trying to, I don't know, get under Vitz's skin to, to get him booked or thrown out, uh, was non-existent. Um, Koke, I can't even remember much from him in the match. He had a terrible game. Koke was yeah. just nothing. Probably the best players were Rodri. Um, when he came in and then Juan Fran actually did quite well uh, at times. Um, but overall, you know, uh, Saul, when he came out, they, they lost something again. And yeah, it was just, it was the most off performance from Atletico I've seen in a very, very long time. And a lot of that has to not do that they didn't play well. It's that Dortmund also didn't let them play well. So uh, we're going to give credit where credit is due. And that was with Borussia Dortmund. And that's exactly what Diego Simeone said. He said Dortmund are fantastic to watch. They are aggressive, uh, dynamic, go forward, not all this pointless back passing and just retaining possession for sake of possession. They immediately go for the killer punch. And they're a joy to watch. And he hopes... That they can, that Dortmund continue playing like this and they get to watch such wonderful football from Dortmund. And that is, you know, hats off to Simeone. Um, that's after losing 4-0 to be that gracious is a fantastic thing to hear. And when they asked him about analyzing his team, he basically said, we lost 4-0. What's there to analyze? We'll look at it in the next few days and uh, we'll talk about it then. I mean, if it just happens one every like nine years, then you can be gracious, I guess. Because I, I, I was, I was actually a bit amazed that Axel Witzel he came into the mix zone and he said like the first thing he said, "Yeah, well, uh, Atletico didn't win uh, by this many goals since 2009." I'm like, "Oh, you read my Twitter? <laughs> well, where do you know that? Where do you know that from?" So yeah, that was kind of cool actually. And um, what? I, I think we, we have to talk once again about Marco Royce and his moments in, in this game where you can, of course, speak about him being the captain, but that these are plays he also made before he had the armband. But, um, I think this is something that, that really killed Atletico. All the, uh, counter pressing from, from Götze and, and Royce together, just tracking back aggressively and not letting any midfielders or center backs even like have a second to look up and and to see where to pass the ball but to just go you know even to your own 20 yard line or so just go back and and, and steal the ball and there was this one iconic moment where Götze I don't even know against who it was might have been Saul or Tomas or so or even Philippe Luis I, I really can't remember or it might have been Koke where he just sticks with this player and then makes this tackle from behind and, and, and robs the ball and like pokes it away and Pischek can clear it. And this is what the crowd loves in Dortmund and Marco Royce, who is usually in charge for, for the attacking play makes so many crucial, crucial plays on the defensive end. It, it's just fantastic. And, um, I don't know. To, to me, this is, this is Dortmund legend material right there. Um, because you are doing, you're going the extra mile. Um, this is nothing every single player does. And I think, um, there are a lot of players that have the quality of Marco Royce, who are maybe a little bit like divas who just stand around and, and hope that their defensive guys make the plays and whatnot. And, and Royce just has this motivation that's coming from within. And not every other player has this. This is something special. And I think Dortmund fans, should cherish it and right now seeing how Marco Royce leads this team on the pitch by example 
is also something where fans get to appreciate what it means for the club in hindsight that he extended his contract when Dortmund were very much on the floor, under Peter Stöger, I think it was, and nothing was really clicking, and then he lighted this spark of hope, and here we are a couple months later down the line, and the talk about Dortmund is whether they can contend for the Champions League. I don't know if we should go this far, but right now, at least, they are one of the hottest teams in Europe. And this is a massive transformation that Marco Royce has a big, big part in, just because of his attitude alone and his beacon of hope that he lit a couple months back and, and, and now basically reaping the, the rewards for that and, and being the frontman of this team. And I gotta say, um, you said Hakimi is the MVP and I kind of want to agree with you there, but it, it was also a statement game by Marco Royce and saying, I'm, I'm the, I'm the guy here. I'm doing the shit. I, I run the show here. And uh, if you want to score on us, I'm going to try to block you and then going to score on you. That kind of guy. Um, and that's just a massive grit, massive attitude, especially after all these injuries to, to play this hard. It's amazing. And I guess in the Bundesliga segment, we have to talk about him getting rests because he's not the outfield player with the most minutes. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to have this little, um, monologue about Marco Royce and now you have to talk Matthias because there are background noises going up no I mean uh, t picking those two points uh, or a couple of points up um, you know uh, apropos um, Marco Royce Koke actually talked about Marco Royce it was a big Atletico Borussia Dortmund love in I felt all around this one uh, this match and Koke also you know, expressed his admiration for Marco Royce for his loyalty to the club, his dedication to the club, extending his contract, knowing that he could have gone somewhere else and made a ton more money. Uh, let's be honest. He could have gone to the Premier League and made a lot more money. He could have probably, you know, prior to his last major injury, probably gone to a Barcelona or Real Madrid and made more money or Juve or something like that. And, Koke expressed that admiration and it, it it means a lot coming from players at Atletico because you really look at a lot of their core players have been there for a very, very long time. So they are also bought into club um, fans and manager and teammates. And you, you kind of get that from Marco Royce. And it seems to have trickled down to other parts of the team and also the younger players, uh, because I'm sure Jaden Sancho is hearing all the buzz out of England. You know, everybody wants him and Manchester City would like to buy him back for 120 billion euros or something like that. Um, but I think he, he wants to stay for a bit. You know, Brun Larsen wants to stay for a bit. Uh, Pulisic, I'm not sure. I actually thought Pulisic didn't play very well. Overall, I don't think he's been playing that great this season. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the problem is there. But uh, Marco Royce, absolutely a club legend for now and for always. And, you know, you said it, it's probably too soon to say Dortmund are going to win the Champions League. But here's a little, little statistic for you. Um, uh, <laughs> Borussia Dortmund have faced Atletico Madrid twice before. So they've played them four times, but it was, you know, two legs. Uh, twice before in European competition. They beat them. 
in 1965-66 season in the European Cup Winners' Cup. That season, Dortmund won the European Cup Winners' Cup. In the 1996-97 season, uh, they had Atletico Madrid in the group. And they beat Atletico, granted the Vicente Calderon, but still, and then they lost at the Stadion, but still, they beat them. And they won the Champions League that season. So obviously, they beat Atletico this season, so obviously they're going to win uh, either the Champions League or, well, I don't think they're not going to get out of the group at this point anymore. But uh, hey, if they wouldn't, you know, maybe they'll win the Europa League. But history is on our side. That's all I'm saying, Stefan. Destiny. <laughs> no, but I mean, if we look at the standings here for a second, um, Dortmund have it almost. I mean, three wins, perfect start, eight goals, none conceded. That's just amazing. And especially given the first game against FC Bruges, that was so terrible. And look where they are now. It's just like a little flower that blossomed. And, um, yeah, so Bruges and Monaco, tied in the game earlier and that means they are now eight points behind Dortmund and that's a rarity that you give up eight points um so I'm (laughs) fairly confident in predicting that Dortmund will finish in the top half of uh, group A I don't think we have to really um talk about this (laughs) for too long so we won't and should skip over to um the game again and I actually want to talk a little bit about um, the lack of Paco Alcasa. You already mentioned it, uh, Dortmund without a striker yet scoring four goals. Um, why do you think in the end it wasn't actually I don't, I don't, I don't, a disaster for them? Or why did they score four goals? How does it happen that Dortmund nevertheless creates so much even without a number nine. Why right now are they just a little bit independent? I think it's the system that that Favre has them playing. He referenced the, I call it the traditional number 10 slot, um, as a nine and a half. So Dortmund are kind of playing with two false nines uh, in a way. Because uh, he also mentioned, because there was a question, well, Kagawa, what's Götze going to play? Is Royce going to play? And he said, well, we've got so many options at the nine and a half position, uh, he said in German. So let's call it another false nine or a shadow striker for any football manager player out there. Um, the guy who sits in the number 10 slot, but is more of a striker. But then you have the traditional striker who's actually more a drop-off guy like Paco. Um, and I think with that, you're very it's very interchangeable. And what helped specifically in this match was that um, Atletico opened up more as time went on that created the space for Dortmund to hit them on the counter. And honestly, you don't need a Diego Costa for a counterattacking system in that way that it played out against Atletico. If Atletico had a, had sat back more, had not conceded a goal and wasn't trying to score and just said, hey, we'll walk out of here with a 1-0, I don't think it would have ended 4-0 because the spaces weren't necessarily there for them to run into um, and you kind of negate the speed factor a little bit, uh, especially with the defenders that Atletico have that aren't speed demons necessarily. Um, you can... It played into Dortmund's hands. Um, 
I think Paco was definitely needed against Stuttgart because of the way Stuttgart sets up. And obviously it helped. And I think uh, the next opponent would be good to have someone more like Paco. I don't know if Maximilian Philipp would be, will be the answer there. I don't know what Paco Alcacer's um, situation is going into the Heta match. But with Atletico, it was almost perfect. It was the almost it, well, it wasn't almost. It was perfect because of the way Atletico played and it played to Dortmund's strengths. Yeah, thank you for that answer. I got to say, in in the first half, I thought, hmm, what a poor game Götze is having. And, um, you know, almost every ball he gets, he's either too slow to be this opponent or the ball just goes out of play or, or something. The player breaks down with Götze, but... Um, you know, as the game went on, I, I sort of understood what his job was. You know, firstly, Götze had to track back a lot and uh, certainly didn't, um, you know, have too much energy going forward. I don't think he was the most dynamic Götze we've ever seen in this game or as, as we've seen in, in other games before. But, um, you know, I, I felt like at some point... Okay, he is actually not there to make the place. He is there to create the space by just binding defenders and occupying certain spaces. I think uh, you could see that when um, Witzel or, or Delaney or whoever played like a small, uh, like a short vertical pass over to Royce, then Götze was usually standing off his shoulder. Sometimes on more on like a right side on Atletico's left, somewhere between Juan Fran and, and Godin, and just forcing the decision of, of the defender to either try to mark Götze or then attack Royce. And whatever the opposite decision was, at least by play designer, I thought uh, was what Royce should be attacking. And the concept I thought was a really great idea. Sadly, most of the time it just didn't work out, but. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, that's at least how I thought Götze was utilized. And what Götze does and should do more often in, in my book, um, even more, is he just sneaks away at some point. He's just standing there and, you know, like a tree and the defender thinks, all right, he's there, I'm dealing with him. And then Götze just sneaks away into a, in, in a different dimension all of the sun gets the ball and, and slots at home like he did against Augsburg where really no one uh, had him on his radar and all of the sudden he was standing there um, and and uh, scoring a go-ahead goal and um, this is something we, we saw from uh, from uh, Dortmund against Atletico as well and um, I want to say Lukas Piszczek can weigh a pass a little bit better and then it works out for Götze and also for Pulisic, who you said had not the best game. But uh, that being said, he also didn't have the best service because Lukas Piszczek overhit a couple of balls. So um, it's all a little bit entwined. Um, Matthias, you already mentioned Hakimi a little bit. Um, I thought that the... Uh, the juice of the Madrid Madrid derby was flowing through him. He looked so energized. He was so ready for this game, like no other Dortmund player, maybe. Um, so three assists, murderous pace. What a performance! Was this like his breakout game, especially like on the left? Yeah, I mean, we we obviously we saw him on the left um, against Stuttgart, and he played. Very, very well. Granted, it's against Stuttgart. Um, but this was definitely his statement game, uh, going up against a really difficult side. 
a physical side, showing his pace, his work rate, and physicality. Uh, he wasn't one to get pushed around. And his flexibility of being on the left side or the right-hand side. Uh, if we can get his decision-making in the five-yard box down perfectly, <laughs> um, we'll, we'll be okay. I'm glad we've got him on a two-season loan because uh, it would be kind of a shame to let him go after one season. Um, but, no, I think this was fantastic. It gives Favre so many options now. Uh, and I think it's a solid option to have Pichek start on the right and then um, have Hakimi on the left and keep – obviously, right now, Diallo has to play centrally just because of Toprak still not being quite there and, and Akanji, of course, being injured. But moving forward, I'd rather see Pichek at right back and Akanji and Akanji, uh, Hakimi at left back versus putting Diallo back back out at left back because I think Diallo's best position is at center back. Yeah, certainly. I I mean, if if you talk about Hakimi's physicality, just how he set up uh, Jaden Sancho's goal, the, the three nil, you know, he basically bullied his way, blocking the ball into his own path against two Atletico players, and, and then over to Götze, and then already started the run, and. I don't know about you, but when I saw the, that play, I, I sort of knew this was going to be a goal um, before Hakimi crossed the halfway line because I just saw the acres of space. I saw Götze just standing there and getting his little ankle ready for this pass into the into the path of Hakimi. I knew this was done. Um, this play was over, and what a beauty. It's just a shame that uh, Sancho was just a hair off side, but... <laughs> I mean that that was such a such a great goal because um it surprised me that Atletico would be that open and be punished so severely by Dortmund for their naivete let's put it this way and uh, you know Hakimi obviously a lot of great runs diagonal in to the inside with speed it's so hard to defend and um yeah he also got a little bit lucky with the first assist of the fir first goal, but um, Axel Witzel just uh, taking a shot and, and having the luck <laughs> sort of, to me, spoke a lot because we, we know by now that Lucien Favre and his teams don't like to take shots with opponent pressure. And here we are against Atletico, and I, I thought to myself, probably Dortmund will rethink that concept just a little bit because otherwise they are very unlikely to even get any shot off. And uh, now Witzel scores with opponent pressure and gets that lucky deflection that leads to the one nothing. Um, I actually asked him about uh, that particular thing after the game and, and whether he had any direction from the coach to take more shots in contested situations, but he said it wasn't the case. But nevertheless, I, I thought that was pretty funny that Dortmund would score this way for, for now and sort of sums it up that everything is, is happening for them now. Uh, how was that? Well, yeah, just deflected that because I thought Oblak was going to have a really good game and make life really hard for Dortmund, but there was just nothing he could do. So that was another fantastic game um, for Hakimi and, and uh, Witzel and how the run of play <laughs> just favored Dortmund so much um and Matthias you already just briefly mentioned it how good were the center backs Zagadou and Diallo after the Stuttgart game I thought well this wasn't really a test for for this backline Atletico will 
um, yeah, be really harsh and, and uh, maybe punish them for their mistakes. But I don't really recall too many positional errors or, or anything else. No. What do you make of this? I mean, there were a few instances where maybe they were caught a little bit out of position, but um, they recovered quickly and quite often also helped by like Witzel coming back, working very hard defensively, getting back in position, obviously Buki having a couple of good good saves. And then Antoine Griezmann probably having the worst match I've seen him play in an extraordinarily long time. Um, and this helps. It's a huge confidence builder. And we all know that confidence is a big, big deal. You know, people want to write off the psychology of sports sometimes and say, oh, they're pros. They just need to go out and play. But that's, that's crap. Psychology plays into it a lot. You know, they have the confidence is growing more and more and more. And with really young players, uh, that are unproven at the highest levels, this plays so strongly towards, them. I mean, Zagadu, this is to me, Probably was his best match. I can't really think of any egregious errors he made. Um, and he should have scored, arguably, uh, a header, mm -hmm. I think from a corner. Yeah, he came in like a, oh, like a, like a train. It was amazing. And he was pretty angry he didn't get it in. Um, he should have been. He should have scored. It was basically a free header, but. It, it's a huge confidence builder heading up uh, into the season because obviously Dortmund still have to play against Bayern. They still have the Derby. I mean, yes, Schalke are total crap this season, but they can always pull it together for, for the Derby. So there's still plenty of very difficult football left to play against hot teams. Uh, and this only bodes well uh, for, for that back line, for those young players And I honestly just see it getting better. I don't think it's going to get worse. And Favre is also very good at making sure that that stays that way. Yeah, in the first half, Diallo had this situation where he tried to um, play around, was it Griezmann or Costa? I don't even remember. And and sort of slipped as he tried to shimmy them. And then he got he got up, took the ball, and then just dribbled past Tomas. The, the next guy that was just an amazing move because you really saw the the confidence pouring out of every cell uh, he had <laughs> i i mean the balls in that guy to to then go and 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 play around the next guy after you nearly botched it there and conceded a goal and that really tells you everything what the mindset of Dortmund is right now how he brushed it off with with one move and um i think um, Matthias, we also have to talk a little bit about, um, uh, Delaney coming off after 35 minutes and, uh, Dahoud coming on. This obviously changed the dynamic of the game a little bit. And, um, I wasn't quite sure what kind of impact that would, would have. And Dahoud, uh, certainly tried a lot of Hollywood passes, um, on the counter attack. Not all of them came off. And in, in, in the end, he had one really, great one to set up um Hakimi who then you know squared the ball over for Guerrero but um nevertheless I, I thought Dahoud slotted in well and had a very good and aggressive game even managed to uh, I think get Hakimi out of the way <laughs> even though Dahoud is usually the guy who, who loses his head in, in some heated moments um so For a more general point, um, not just because of Dahoud slotting in well, but, um, we, we've seen a lot of rotation on this team. This lineup is constantly changing, yet, uh, it, 
it's sort of more of then not just comes together. Um, do you have an explanation for why that is? That uh, doesn't really matter how you line up or, or who you play. It sort of always like grips. Well, I mean, a couple of things. Um, no more Gonzalo Castro. Uh, I think that definitely helps in the sense of consistency. I mean, Delaney, for the most part, is always very consistent in the role that he plays. Fair <laughs> Fair uh, um, Dahoot has is playing much better. Um, he's still, I think, sh well short of what he can do. But let's give Lucien Favre some time. And I think then that's the name, Lucien Favre. I mean, uh, Bosch... We'll move past him because honestly, I feel bad for him to a certain level. But Stöger just wasn't that great at his job, in my opinion. I mean, he got us where we kind of had to be at the end, but that was more luck than anything else. But again, different squad, different mentality. And Fabio seems to have a better sense of tactically when to play what players and what roles and what positions and with the subs. I don't think it's luck. Luck does play into it to a certain degree, but he understands Always his... Always luck is skill, Matthias. Of course. That's so easy. Of course. Um, but I think a lot of it plays into that he and the coaching team just understand the players, the roles they can, and he probably connects with them a little bit better than than his predecessors. And I include Thomas Tuchel in his predecessors, because Tuchel didn't necessarily connect well with a lot of players. But of course, when, when Delaney went down... And I had to watch it on, uh, as a relive on the BVB Total website because TNT, uh, Bleacher Report Live is a complete freaking joke in the United States. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously they were talking about a hey, Weigel could come on or Dahoot. He picked Dahoot. I, in my head, I'm like, okay, so this is now when Weigel's going to come in next to Witze. My only concern right now is what's up with Weigel? What's where? Where's that going? Uh, not to bring everything down after such a good performance, but it does raise some questions. Or is it just a matter of like with Gutsa buying his time, playing into it over the course of the season, and we'll see Weigel be Weigel again? Uh, but Dahoud played quite well overall. I still think he has a long way to go because I expect great things from him because he's very very talented. But I think Favre is the kind of guy that can and will get it out of him. Well, I just think that um, Dortmund just needed to be very aggressive as a collective. And when you put in Julian Weigel, you sort of monkey wrench that approach because he is a lot of things, but he's not an aggressor. And especially against Atletico, you need that. And with that, Daoud is uh, the, the, the perfect guy to have and to bring in. And um, what I was getting at to is, is what Thomas Delaney said after um, the game. He actually praised Favre in, in a way. And I'm just going to read a little bit from my own uh, ESPN uh, report here just because uh, I have it right in front of me. And, and he, he said that Atletico was a good test for their own maturity and uh, that it's uh, still early in the season and it was yet a massive step for them. And... Um, He said about Favre, you know, really praising him, saying, obviously, we have a big squad and the coach cannot please everyone, but he still manages to give us the feeling that we're all one team. And that really is important. And he, he even went further and said, even if you don't make the matchday squad, you don't feel left behind. You always know that you can be back in a team the next week. That's important for a team with so many good players right now. 
we have that balance where the coach trusts you, but at the same time, you know that you have to play very well because there are other players waiting on the bench. The atmosphere in the team is just amazing. For example, all the midfielders are sticking together, even though not everyone can play. We're a team and that's just awesome. And he uh, used the term geil. <laughs> the German uh, listeners will know what that means. So um, it's it's good that even a guy like Delaney, who also is a little bit in and out, um, is in very high spirits. And, and uh, you could see in his face how much he was raving about the, the spirit and how much he is in enjoying this moment right now. Because um, I don't know about you, Matthias, but winning so many games in a row with with uh, so many goals and, and such score lines, um, this is a run you don't really experience often as, as a footballer in, in any team. Maybe not even for Real Madrid, you will have the scrappy 1-0 win here and there. But Dortmund right now had so many amazing wins and... Uh, so Dortmund are really on a high. Obviously, Delaney said that at some point there will be a bad period and that's going to be another test for them. But he also said it's also just awesome to see how Hakimi and all these 18, 19-year-olds come and perform. Dan Axel also played well again today and he said, awesome, right now anything is possible. And that's, to me, exactly the opposite of, of what Dortmund were last season because now we have the spirit where you you rebuild a team, the spirits are high, you feel like the sky's the limit. And that really was epitomized by Dortmund in this game. And it was nice to hear that Delaney, who I think is a very intelligent and well-spoken dude, uh, put it together after the game. So Matthias, to me, that was sort of the, the biggest takeaway that uh, Dortmund have a newfound spirit and will probably only improve from from here. Yeah, I agree. And I'm going to quote two movies. Um, one, the Lego movie, in that uh, everything is awesome. I think that's pretty much what his, his quote uh, summed up. And the other thing is from one of my favorite sports movies, Remember the Titans, where they say, attitude reflects leadership. And that is clearly evident this season. There is a collective leadership not just individual people. Um, Marco Reus exudes that more than, say, Marcel Schmelzer did or Nuri Shahin did. I I feel this is more of a... Obviously, Lucien Favre and Jürgen Klopp are completely different personalities, but it is more of a... It re, I re, I'm reminded more of the Klopp years um, than the last three seasons because I feel like under Thomas Tuchel... Um, in his second season, it started a little in the first season, but in the second season, things started deteriorating also internally. And that has a lot to do with Thomas Tuchel as a manager, his personality, very, very difficult. And obviously last season, Bosch wasn't the right fit. Stuga was dull and not very good. And that just kind of, and then you have the likes of Dembele and Obama Young, who are rotten apples, just making everything worse. You don't really have that. And no, they are still, there still is going to be a rough patch. They're going to lose. And they may even lose a couple of matches on the bounce. And how they react to that is very important. But we've already seen that character. They've had a few matches. I remember uh, somebody talking about Ishtuga ball back after the, the, uh, the match against Bruges. And it's not, you know, they, they already had a mini crisis in the sense that they weren't flying on all cylinders right away. Leipzig should have beaten them, arguably, um, but didn't. And they came back from being down and winning against Leverkusen and stuff like that. So they've they've had 
tests of character, not to the degree that, say, <laughs> Schalke do right now, or even Bayern do to a degree, um, but mini tests within matches or within a couple of weeks or something like that. And they're, they're getting better and building and stuff like that. And I have to say, having watched Lucien Favre for a number of years as a manager in Berlin, in Nice, in Gladbach, I didn't really see much of him in Switzerland. I can't remember him smiling so much as I've seen him smile, be it at the press conferences, on the touchline. He seems happier than I remember seeing him for a long time for a more consistent basis. And I think just overall right now, there's a lot of positivity in there. And I'd also like to know more uh, about if there's any influence coming from someone like Sebastian Kehl being more connected with uh, the team that is really hard to measure. And, yeah, I mean, outsider it's, point. you don't know, does it? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but Kale obviously is a true leader. He was there during the good times and the atrociously bad times. Um, and so maybe, maybe that plays into it. Like you said, it's impossible for us to judge from outside unless someone internal would tell us. But right now, everything seems pretty good. And I think even it, when they lose, and they will lose, even though I'll be okay if I get that prediction wrong, um, that I don't think they're going to fall apart because of it, uh, simply because of the dynamic that's being built up right now. Yeah, you see, this is just a mindset there. They're like now dripping and dripping and dripping into that stone where they just have this never-say-die mentality and they've come back, as you said, in, in so many games already, you know, against Augsburg, against Leverkusen, against Fürth, and so on and so forth. They even came back against Hoffenheim being down to 10 men and uh, snatched a point, even though they were absolutely horrible for most parts of that game. And they uh, sort of got that scrappy win away to Bruges. So, you know, this this uh, mentality is there now. So I don't think that a setback will, you know, Dortmund will bend but not break, as they say in the, in the NFL too often. And um, before we go over to the Bundesliga segment um, and while we're on the point of mentality um, we have to talk about the stare downs here about Mario Götze staring down Juan Fran and Zagadou staring down Costa and I mean we, we see this often in basketball you know and, and basketball is a high scoring game so it's not like decided by one play but there are like so many moments where someone dunks and then just stares the center into the face or so and just, you know, making a little statement with, with the face. And usually Atletico are a team that gets into the heads of, of other teams that are, are niggly, that are annoying. And at some point you just lose your cool and you do something stupid or you are... You just don't pay attention when when it matters and they score on you or whatever. And this time it didn't work on Dortmund, who uh, in, in the past would have been quite susceptible to shit like that. But for for once, it looked like they were immune to, to uh, Atletico's shithousery. And, and uh, you know, after that got stared down, it was just poetic justice that Guerrero scored off of Philippe Lewis' um, uh, mistake. You know, just to make it four nothing, just you know, for 
yet another stare down. And uh, I don't know about you, Matthias, but that also really impressed me how, how Dortmund dealt with that aspect of the game that Atletico usually understand so well and, and do so well and sort of uh, beat them with their own medicine. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting if you point to those two specific players, and Witzel had it a little bit with Douglas uh, Costa as well, but Witzel just kind of, wa- you know, talked and walked away. He's, he's an older veteran. He understands it. He can get stuck in. That's fine. But the two players you mentioned, what's really interesting about them is Gutz isn't really known for that, for, for let's call it bravado, machismo, whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, stare down, um, manning up or anything like that, because that's not really who he is. He's a more technical player. He's not really one to get stuck in or, uh, things like that. And then Zagadou, who's a kid who it seems like only this year truly discovered that he's a pretty big dude and, um, he doesn't have to be scared, um, of the older guys just because they're older, because Zagadou is a pretty big dude. And as such, that encompasses, like you said, that mentality of this team right now where it's like, what? So what? You scored against us. We're going to score three against you. Let's go. And that is, you know, taking parallels to, to other sports or anything like that. I mean, that's something like the Patriots had for years where it's like, okay, fine, you scored, whatever, where the Patriots were going to crush you now. <laughs> um, or in the past, say the Yankees in baseball or anything like that, or, you know, the Golden State Warriors in the NBA, they just, we're going to outscore you. And to a certain degree, Dalton are getting that bravado without the dripping arrogance, arrogance of Bayern as an example, or Cristiano Ronaldo or somebody like that. Um, and it is that bravado that really Atletico some of. Atletico have bravado without arrogance. Now, it's a little bit, like you said, shithousery, a little dirty and stuff like that. Um, little little Argentina ball in there as well, anti-football. But without that, that like you said, dripping arrogance of a Juventus, a Real Madrid, a Barcelona, um, any of those teams, or Bayern. And that makes them endearing. It to to us, obviously, whoever they're playing against, not necessarily, but Atletico didn't seem offended. Atletico fans didn't seem offended. Simeone certainly didn't seem offended because how can he be? He's not a hypocrite. He understands what's going on and, <laughs> and how his team plays. And they couldn't intimidate Dortmund. And he basically said, you know, bravo. You know, you deserved it. You knocked us in the face and you're the better team. So I think that's encapsulates everything about this team right now. Yes, full stop. And uh, yeah, of course we have to mention that Rafael Guerrero, after hardly playing in months, coming on and then scoring twice and doing a lot of great things. Um, bravo. That was really good. And uh, also heads off yet again for another substitute. I think now 17 substitute goals by Dortmund this season, which is quite amazing. Um yeah, I, I mean, the, the one goal he, he scored, the, the second one, he scored like with a shin pad or something. But, you know, right now, just everything clicks together. It's, it's, uh, funny, funny how that is and uh, how many players were there to, to score on that Hakimi cross. I think Royce was sliding in, Götze was like on the, on the further post. So even if, if, um, Gero had missed that ball, I, I felt like there were just so many other Dortmund players who would have then slotted home. Which really tells you 
how great their positioning is in the, in the box to then find this uh, the the shot and and get it off. And uh, usually against um, Atletico, you don't you don't think that uh, the box is so well stacked that you actually get several options. Like if the ball goes one meter to the left or to the right, that there's still a very good chance of someone kicking it from a from a good angle and scoring. But that especially for this goal would have been the case. So um, yet again. Amazing. And Matthias, now we're 50 minutes in. Um, are there still any final points you want to make on this game? Um, I, I, I know it was a special game and we, I think we should just take the time and talk about it. But at some point we also have to move on. Yeah, because we can't underestimate the fact that it was only the third group match. Uh, there's still <laughs> plenty of Champions League left. Uh, it's the end of October, not the end of March. So there's, there's still a lot going. And I think we can talk about Hats Off for nine minutes. Yeah, sure. We also have to sort of cram the Stuttgart game in it. But anyway, before we um, do anything else, it's time for our special guest interview segment. Let's play that. This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The Jiki Vons and Sugar Dons can't quit, what? Now pop the caucus in the Vega and get lit, what? 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 And it's now time for the Hatta preview segment. And for that, I've invited a very special guest. It's Mark Schwitzki from the Hatta Berlin block Hatta base. And on Twitter, you can find him at jungerherr1892. Hello, Mark. Hi, Stefan. Hi, Stefan. Nice being here. How are you doing? Pretty great. Pretty great. Uh, had a wonderful Champions League evening last day. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty entertainment. Uh, and yeah, no, uh, I'm fine. V very well. Now, um, of course, we have to talk about Hertha Berlin. Right now, they're in sixth place on the table. They have 15 points. So they're just five points of Dortmund and are not really far behind. Everything is pretty close. So even though Dortmund are league leaders, it's not like set in stone or they have a big margin. Um, let's, let's just start with a general question. How would you say Hertha's season is going so far? Would you say it's a very positive or mild positive or negative, mediocre? What's your take on the uh, team from the capital? Um, pretty great, to be honest, because, um, yeah, um, you mentioned it, uh, 15 points after eight games is um, pretty good. And also um, the style of our um, um, football has changed. We play much more attractive than last season. Um, we play with a lot of uh, young players which is also pretty interesting to see them uh, develop into um, into the team. And uh, at the moment, I think we couldn't ask for more, to be honest. Well, that's, a, that's a very good answer. Um, I, I, I might want to say, though, even though you play much more attractive, that doesn't mean Hertha is now really easy on the ice. But <laughs> yes, they are, they are better to watch than last season, that is for sure. Um Speaking of of uh, the 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 changes Paul Dadai has made and 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 the young players who's who thus far has has stuck out for you? What's the let's say there's a special momentum or who who what or asking differently who 
gets you excited when he gets on the ball. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, Javairo Derosun. Um, he's a player we um, bought from Man Manchester City uh, in the summer and um, just 20 years old, um, has no experience in the um, advanced football. So after the youth football, um, he didn't play it single game. And now he uh, got, got his opportunity uh, playing for Hertha and making his uh, first steps in this uh, football business. And it's unbelievable, unbelievable what he can do with the ball. Um, um, he's unbelievably fast. Um, and what he can do with the balls, his dribblings are phenomenal. Also, he's uh, able to score goals, to give us assists. Um, yeah. And I think it's pretty astonishing what he's able to do. And, and just in this uh, state of his career. So, um, nobody was expecting this. Um, he came and we said, okay, we have to develop him in a, a slowly way. We, um, in a slow way, we have to prepare him and maybe he can get some, uh, minutes on the field. And now he's playing from the beginning at, yeah, almost every game. And, uh, I think, yeah, um, after seven games, he scored two goals and uh, gave free assists, which is pretty great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I sometimes I'm uh, we're a bit lost of words um, because what he's able to do with the ball we've uh, never seen at Hertha. Okay, not never, but uh, for a long time. And he's a great asset to this team and um, do, is doing things we really need. So he's some so he stands for spectacular football which is uh as you mentioned not the not the typical style uh Hertha is playing oh well i i mean i can remember the good times of Hertha, especially i think on the lucien favre with the likes of marcelinho and then voronina and, and so on and so forth but so uh, marcelinho never played under uh lucien favre that's true this is why i said also under lucien oh favre. okay sorry so just just to give me a little leeway <laughs> there. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, Del Rosson is. I think he's playing on the left wing for the most part, but he's switching around too. It's not yeah, like yeah. all set in stone. Um, I I guess um also someone who excites you so far and someone who I must mention before Abel Mecheros uh, kills me here is uh, Andre Duda, who um <laughs> is. The best scorer for Hertha with six goals after eight games. That's uh, pretty prolific, especially considering that he is playing as a number 10, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Andre Duda, um, we, uh, he's already got a chant. Um, he scores when he wants. And, um, yeah, for the last two years, he was, um, Invisible, invisible, you must say, because of injuries, because of, uh, because he wasn't in great shape and couldn't, uh, couldn't show his full potential in more than one game. Um, that was pretty, um, yeah, disappointing because, uh, we had a, we had a lot of hopes in him. Um, he, uh, should be, uh, should have been the player who's, um, taking Hedda's play style um to the next level 
and he couldn't show that for two years because he was almost the whole time um, injured. And now he can show his full potential and he's such a great player, not only because he's uh, scoring so much goals, um, but also he's playing uh, very much key passes. Um, he's um, in his... Um, in his def defensive uh, game is all, um, is already pretty great. So, um, for example, against Schalke, he took uh, Sebastian Rudi out of the game. And last season, maybe you remember, he did the same with Julian Weigel. And um, so this is a pretty uh, interesting tactical um, style of Pardade to um, yeah let Duda hunt the def uh, the uh enemies um six six can you can you say it six uh yeah the number six of the uh, opponent <laughs> exactly so yeah um he's uh, got a bunch of great um abilities on the field and um i mean you have a, a bit of a better uh, goal scorer at the moment but <laughs> <laughs> after him and uh, i don't know which uh, player also scored a lot yeah luka jovic but He's already, but he's got his, um, free game against, um, against, against who? Um, you mean uh, Düsseldorf. Düsseldorf, Düsseldorf. Right. But after that, Andre Duda is the best goal scorer in the Bundesliga. And that is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've just fished around a little bit in my, um, ESPN stats portal that uh, I have access to. And, uh, <laughs> not many other people but it's basically the optostats and i just uh <laughs> looked at the at the key passes and uh i see that lazaro has 16 and is leading uh, ahead of marvin plattenhardt mm -hmm. who has 13 and uh, the past expected goals of uh, lazaro is three but he only has two assists so um he must be a bit frustrated that the finishing is not as sharp as, as it could be by Hatter, but nevertheless, uh, what makes Lazaro so special that he has 16 key passes if the stats are correct? Which yeah. They might not be. <laughs> um, we bought him from Abbey Salzburg, um, for playing, um, an offensive, uh, winger. And after Mitchell Weiser left us, um, towards by Leverkusen, um, Pardade developed, um, or change the position from Lazaro from the offensive winger to the defensive winger. And, uh, but he's cut, uh, his, he's still got his, uh, abilities and attacking style. So he's unbelievable fast. And I think he's one of the best, uh, if it, um, regarding to the, um, dribblings. So he wins a lot of dribblings and then he can, uh, move into the, danger zones of the enemy and um yeah playing this passes but um yeah in, in this season your finishing isn't that good uh or isn't as good as the last season where it was, it was yeah let's say uh, ridiculously good and uh, now we sometimes miss chances like against freiburg but um lazaro at the moment is maybe one of the best uh, defensive wingers in the league, I would say, um, because of his um, because of his uh, playing style with the ball, against the ball. Of, of course, he can uh, improve a lot. Um, he's able to improve a lot. Um, he must <laughs> improve a lot. 
but um, if he can um, get this two on a, a great um, great scale of quality, I think uh, he won't play that long for Hertha. Yeah, he's a pretty good right back, um, and he certainly has impressed me so far. Um, uh, one more player I actually want to hear from you is someone who I feel like has uh, flown a little bit under the radar, but uh, has been impressive. And a couple of people already said that he might be uh, the f the future for the German national team. <laughs> I, I I don't like going that far. Uh, so soon, but nevertheless, um, how has Arne Meyer developed? He's just 19 years old. He is a holding midfielder right now, um, and probably <laughs> in the future as well. Um, but to me, he's already crucial in, in Hertha's system. Yeah, he is. He is. He is. Um, he, um, maybe he is it like for, uh, one year already, maybe. Um, Arne Meyer is, uh, is a special player is a really truly special player um he already also he's his uh, play style is uh, like a box to box player um i think there's just okay um his only weakness is uh, maybe scoring goals this this is something he must improve um but um but if you accept that um Anna Meyer is, uh, I don't, I don't know any weaknesses of him. He can, uh, he's great in, um, challenges. He, uh, reads the match unbelievably good. He, uh, can run with the ball into the danger zones, danger zones, danger zones. Um, and I'm, yeah, we are all unbelievably impressed by him. Um, You mentioned that he's only 19 years old and you have the feeling he played Bundesliga for years now. He's, um, his routine is great and, um, yeah, exceptional player, I guess. And, and yeah, maybe you don't want to go that far, but I think, uh, if, um, he doesn't get injured or anything else, his way towards the national team or to a greater team than Hertha is, yeah, uh, pretty sure. Yeah, I've 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 heard that Dortmund showed interest in him, but not like in the way that they wanted to buy him last summer, but but simply observing him, I guess. Yeah, they would the, be uh, they would be blind if they wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> but that's certainly not worth a story, I think, because Dortmund are pretty much observing everyone. So yeah, of course, of course. Um, so. The, the the biggest statement Hertha made so far, of course, is beating Bayern to the nil, and not by a fluke. That was a really deserved win, and um, it's probably what you will look for. Well, a performance you will look for uh, for Hertha to show in Dortmund on Saturday. Um, but because I enjoyed this game so much, <laughs> can you please? Talk me and our listeners through a little bit what Hertha did so well to actually beat Bayern with the deserved 2-0 margin. Yeah, um, I think the most important point is that they um, didn't show fear at all. They wanted to play football. Um, they wanted to beat Bayern. Um, they showed that from the first minute to the last. Um, of course, uh With a two-nil, two-nil leading, you have to be a bit more defensive. Um, but, um, 
I think um, what Hertha did great was to um, to don't yeah like uh, kick and rush, um, but they really wanted to play football. They wanted to play. Um, they wanted to play like. Um, let's let's just say that they tried to um, keep the ball uh, despite Bayern's pressing and played really well around Bayern's pressing lines and then found the space in behind and attacked it and that's what went so well for for Hertha in this game and what I really liked is also how they managed to congest the middle and and really uh, restrict. Bayern to um, a lot of wing play, which uh, yeah. Bayern obviously tried with Ribéry and Alaba, but then um, almost every Ribéry cross just went AWOL or just, you know, was intercepted. I think once Lewandowski got his head to it or so, but otherwise he was pretty ineffective. And uh, that was also a game where I wasn't really sure why uh, Kovac was playing Javi Martinez in midfield. I thought he was completely rendered uh, useless there just because um, he was not really winning the balls in an area where it would have been of any gain. And then he took way too long to uh, pass it forward or to do anything with it. And Hertha always, they were organized way before Bayern could really go and transition play. And it was just really interesting to see because Bayern in the last years actually had a really good transitional play I want to say and uh, for once that wasn't the case so um, yeah that was a very impressive performance by the entire Hertha collective yeah I think we have to point out Anamaya in that game because he was um, he was the leader and um, what he did (laughs) uh, with the Bayern players was unbelievable and with that age and also uh, Valentino Lazaro um, of course he lost some duels against Ribéry that's that's natural um but on the other side he uh was so aggressive in his playstyle so um he was attacking again and again and uh, then he was giving the assist to Andre Duda to the 2-0 and um these players stood out also um Karim Rekic and um Niklas Scherk uh, our uh, fullbacks exceptionally great game and you said that they uh, um, uh, Bayern had to play over their wing wingers and um, their cross uh, had to play crosses over and over but if you playing with um, Karim Rekic and Niklas Stärk that won't be the way to success <laughs> little qu- clarification there were actually the, the center backs the fullback is the oh sorry the yeah. rechts and links verteidiger the center right, back right. Is, are the infanteidiger just to to clear this up um Yes, but Rekikenstadt did play well. And that brings me right to my next question because um, Hertha have a little bit of uh, trouble on, on the centre-back position, don't they? Who is going to play against Dortmund? <laughs> that's not true at the moment. Um, that's not decided. Um, maybe three of them. So uh, maybe Paldada is changing his formation to a, a formation with three centre-backs. Um, of course, Karim Rekic and Niklas Stark will play if they're um, able to play, but it seems like it. And then you also have um, Derek Lukasen, who gave his debut uh, de- uh, against Freiburg um, and played re- really great. And also Fabian Lustenberger, who's, um, yeah, he's he's like the main backup at the centre-back uh, position and also played uh, really, really good, uh, really well against Freiburg. And so Padare has a lot of 
uh, options to um, alt alternatives. Um, and maybe we see three uh, center backs or two, but I can say that Karim Rekic and Niklas Stark will return. All right, awesome. I, I think that uh, can conclude our uh, preview for, for that game. I, I think Hertha will, of course, as always, try to be very compact, very defensive and also very aggressive. Um, but as you said, they will also try to go forward. And I wonder if this will be a similar game um, to Dortmund uh, against Augsburg, uh, where Dortmund needed a lot of yeah. luck to come away as well. Yeah, great example. Great example. It should be that style of football who's um, leading to success in that match. And I hope um, we don't play... In Germany, we would call it Angsthausen-Fußball, so like uh, <laughs> um, playing with a lot of fear. Scared rabbit football. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't think that uh, this is the way Paldare wants to uh, see his team playing. So I hope um, for a great match uh, where the two uh, teams are um, playing for the win or maybe for one point that's all also okay but yeah we can we can't lose anything against uh, this Dortmund I, I think and uh, just enjoy the game um, I think and we will see if we can uh, maybe steal a point Yes, 4,000 uh, fans from Hertha Berlin will make the trip to Dortmund. Will you be one of them? No, I uh, don't have the time for that, but uh, I will right, watch this game. <laughs> All right, thank you, Mark. You can find him again on Twitter at jungerherr 1892 and uh, read his work in German, though, on herthabase.de or .com, I should know it. but um, I think both is working, so... <laughs> okay, perfect. And on fußball.news. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. And uh, with that, back to the uh, studio <laughs> of uh, Matthias and I. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. That was our little um, interview and now we are back to talk about the Bundesliga and Matthias briefly because I, in, in my intro I'm afraid I totally forgot that Dortmund beat Stuttgart for nothing. Um, that game was a little bit fluky, right? Um, I want to say in, in how Dortmund scored the first goal, two deflections on the, on the pass to Sancho and then Sancho was scoring with a deflection. Um, but then also Stuttgart fell apart. I wasn't quite sure what Voinsier was trying, but, um, playing Gonzalo in midfield certainly was never going to work out. And he particularly had a very terrible game. And this was uh, why he was the first to, to walk off. But, um, I don't know. To me, that was just a perfect game going uh, into this Champions League tie just because the garbage time started after like 28 minutes or so quick thoughts yeah. on that one well i mean dortmund were the dominant side in the first half stuttgart woke up in the second half played much much better but Birki being in my opinion probably the best keeper in the bundesliga so far this season um did a fantastic job kept dortmund in the match and then dortmund just completely took them apart uh and stuttgart is still crap um which is completely surprising but fine it's it's like hey 
You get to take over a completely demoralized team, and guess who you get to play against next? The hottest team in Europe. Congratulations. Have fun with that. And so I kind of feel bad for, for Weinzee. I think he'll write the ship with Stuttgart. They're too good. Um, but it's still a, a long way to go for him and them. But I, yeah, I mean, Stuttgart had their chances in the second half, probably 20, 30 minutes. They played pretty well. Uh, not quite as well as the Fox Sports commentators would like us to believe. But they had their opportunities. Buki did a really good job. And then Dortmund just took care of business after that. So, um, yeah, they they played really, really well. It was another one of those matches where I feel like last season they may have gotten out there and drawn the match and not won it uh, simply because they would have crumbled under Stuttgart's pressure in the second half. But instead, it kind of went the other way. Yeah, also a little bit lucky that um, Gentner didn't score that free kick, or it wasn't free kick, but he was free on goal, basically, and, and just skied it. But then again, he's Gentner, so it's not like he scores these every weekend. And of course, um, it's a shame that Alcasa only had 45 minutes, but <laughs> boy, oh boy, uh, you know, first that, that little dummy... <laughs> Where uh, he allowed Royce to to score uh, after the Pischek cross, and then of course making uh, <laughs> use of of uh, Pavard's absolute brain fart there and lobbing it over Zila with that audacious ship. You know, it's it's just a shame that uh, his his muscles somehow aren't really working well. And I was really happy for uh, Maximilian Philipp to score because um. He actually gave a really insightful interview where he said that, you know, I hope people don't only see the, the footballer Maximilian Philipp, but also the human being and was talking about, um, you know, him actually having some, some, some problems and some doubts, uh, because he didn't score so far. And even though playing out of position, he said that he usually always scored and wasn't quite sure why. He wasn't, you know, performing so well as, as he should have and, and, and could have. And you could really see, in, you know, after he scored that it was more relief than celebration. And, uh, yeah, it was a really well taken shot where he could, uh, show his, his, uh, amazing shooting technique. So that's certainly something good for him and, and, and for the team in general. And it was nice to see how everyone celebrated with him. So, you know, even though it was sort of a walkover win and, and something we sort of walked over here as well, um, still a couple of good stories coming out of there. Um, just now as we segue over to Hatter, just a shame that Alcasa is probably going to miss this one as well. Um, he did not train today on Thursday. I don't know, like he had some individual runs, but I don't know if that's going to be enough for her to especially a start and you already mentioned beforehand that this is the sort of game where it would be better to have um a number nine again like like Alcasa and um overall Matthias we sort of have to talk about the rotation machine now because um Marco Royce obviously has has played the most minutes of every player and he just played his heart out do you think now it's it's finally time to to give him a rest or um, do you have to play him? Because I fear that, that at some point there are going to be more injuries like the one that Akanji has. And if you miss three weeks, that's just seven games. And that's just uh, too many, I want to say. So um, 
if you look at, at the players top one player right now, who do you think needs a break and who Favre can afford to give a break? Yeah, I think uh, Royce uh, definitely deserves and needs a break. Can't forget, not too long ago, he was called, people were calling him the most injury prone player in the Bundesliga, which is complete garbage. Uh, he had two high profile injuries, not a ton more than that. But obviously, I, I expect Maximilian Philip to be back in the side. Um, I expect it either to be Pulisic or Sancho starting, probably Brun Larsen again, since he seems to just always be able to run and play. Um, I don't, I mean, I know there was a question about Kagawa's injury and he's back in training, but I don't think he's, he's actually fit yet. Um, you know, midfield probably, I, I mean, I guess Witzel who seems impervious to being tired. So Witzel and Dahoud again, or maybe a Dahoud Weigel combo in the double pivot. I'm not a hundred percent sure there. And again, I don't know exactly who all is fit. I mean, in the back line, probably going to be the same back four because we don't have a ton of options right now. Maybe Guerrero starts a match. I don't know. Yeah, this is, to me, the biggest worry that uh, Marcel Schmelz is now out for three weeks until mid-November. And um, I just don't think can play Lucas Pischek in every game because then he will be out for three or four weeks too with some muscular issue. Um so it's going to be a bit of a of a puzzle. Of course, you can play Diallo again on the left side. You can play Guerrero there, but or even Jeremy Toyon if he's ever fit, and, and I don't know if he can be implemented or not uh, by Favre and, and what his status is there. But you know, there is no perfect option, and this to me is also a big test for Favre now in the next weeks because he will have to rotate and he will have to compromise. There are imperfect options he has to choose at the back line just because of of injuries and um he has to do make to to make some changes at some point otherwise it's just going to get worse and we can only hope that Uma Toprak when he comes back uh, actually finds his feet and form quickly and hits the ground running so to speak because otherwise it's it's going to be yeah kind of dreadful um but I hope that Zagadou and Diallo can can uh, stick together at center back. I was, I don't want to say skeptical, but knowing how good Akanji was, I was a bit worried that uh, you know this partnership would be as as good. But uh, both have really stepped up and and done, done really well. So yeah, my hats off to them. But of course, Dortmund have to rotate there. So yeah. Matthias, I think this is going to be a really tough game. Hertha, as as uh, we've said before in, in the segment with Mark, uh, have beaten Bayern Munich and uh, they have the means to do so. Um, is this the so-called trap game, in, in, in your opinion, or um, not a trap game because Hertha are simply a good side? Yeah, I think, I mean, you talk about they're, they're sixth on the table right now. To me, it's not your stereotypical trap game. That was definitely the Augsburg match. Um, given how Augsburg are, they are playing significantly more positive football this season than we have seen from them in the past. They're still a very good defensive unit. I mean, they've allowed the same amount of goals as Dortmund. I mean, really, if you think about it in the top six, everybody is allowed either eight or nine goals. So, I mean, defense wins championships, right? So you're, you're kind of seeing that and that's always have been had a strength, but now they can actually score goals. Uh, they're going to be a very dangerous side. And 
this is going to be a very uncomfortable and very difficult match for Dortmund. I don't expect another 3-4-0 type victory for Dortmund at all. Um, the, the good thing is, moving forward, you've got two... The next... The next two matches are against significantly, I'm not going to say easier opponents, but you're looking at a cup tie. And and then, of course, you've got Wolfsburg. So I I think um, this is going to be the tough, tough performance. And maybe because of that, Favre won't rotate that much. Um, But I wouldn't put it past Hatta to to score a goal against Dortmund. um, And I wouldn't, I, I could see this one ending in a draw. Yeah, me me too. But you know, the the Atletico game had the headline written by Mark Royce himself, basically "Reifeprüfung." You know, a test, a litmus test for your own maturity. And to me, the Hertha game sort of is like an appendix of that because after such an emphatic win, you know, tension usually just drops and you know, you could get sloppy or whatever. And if Dortmund managed to beat Hertha, it doesn't need to be pretty. Even if it's a dirty one, to me, that will be a massive statement as, as well. Just because Hertha are just very difficult. And if you pull through that and, and come out with three points, this this is going to be even better. Just because it's it's just not easy to do if you had this uh, midweek game the other side had to pre- prepare a whole week and you just still still somehow managed to to eke it out that would be just amazing so if if Dortmund do that then uh yeah kudos to them and then we can actually talk about them being title contenders i think if if they win this game then uh I think we can talk about that a little bit more than uh, right now, as of Thursday, the 26th of October, 2018. Yeah, yeah and it's also the amount of matches. But there's a very good chance that Dortmund could be, Borussia Dortmund could be the most disliked club in Berlin in, within the next week. So, um, yeah. you know, for those that don't know or can't remember, of course, there's first the Bundesliga match against Hertha and then the DFB Pokal match against Union Berlin, where, um, not to steal your thunder, Stefan, I know you'll be doing something special about that match next week. Otherwise, this will be a three hour episode. Yeah, maybe it will, Matthias, because there's one tiny subject left that I wanted to talk about here that hasn't really gotten a mention on the Yellow Warpod yet, but I think it should. Um, I don't know where you were on uh, Friday last week, Matthias, but something happened. And a lot of people actually do remember where they were because a lot of them were in front of some sort of screen and watching a press conference going down in Munich. And um <laughs> I guess it was one for the ages. I was still asleep when that was happening. I yeah, I get and I, I get up early. I was five AM and I think I I saw all this stuff happening. I'm like, okay, I just got up. I feel like I missed something in Munich. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed like you sort of going through the motions real life and 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 watching and and really um yeah <laughs> trying to understand what was happening after everyone else was already sort of freaking out and coming into a room completely on fire <laughs> um but matthias how rattled really do you think Bayern are right now 
given this is their state right now? You know, it's it's hard to say. Um, I mean, obviously, we've jokingly said this a few times. I'm the elder statesman of the Yellow Wall, um, and I remember Bayan uh, very well in the 1990s when everyone grew to d- deeply hate them. Um, they weren't really that hated in the 70s. In the 80s, they were kind of starting to get there. But it was really the 90s, FC Hollywood, that made everybody hate them to the core. And it's because of this same kind of stuff, you know, this, this dripping mia-zan-mia, uh, um, arrogance and hypocrisy. And it, it shows two things. One, they're a wounded animal, which is always dangerous when you're talking about Bayan. But, you know, it, it was kind of the, hey, let's, let's divert all the attention to us and kind of take the attention off the players and relieve some of the pressure from the players and from the manager. And it was just done in a really, really bad way and completely under, or I won't say underestimating. It's almost like they had no clue about a modern media landscape, which has changed a little bit since, uh, you know, Flashelea days of Trapatoni, and uh, just the current state of uh, politics, you know, and and the the hypocrisy that politicians and and leaders and political leaders uh, here in the United States, but also in Germany and France, Britain, Turkey, everywhere, are bringing to bear about fake news and how dare you criticize us, you pricks and sons of bitches. You, you, we demand you to be calm and use well thought out arguments when criticizing us, you pricks. You know, I mean, it, it was just, it was so bizarre. And it shows that they're panicked a little bit because they realized, and I think you and I had talked about this a week or two ago, that they didn't make the transition in their squad when they should have. And now they're going, oh crap. We've, we've got a problem here. And I, I know what they were trying to do. And Kalle Rummenigge was kind of trying to go about it the right way, even though I think talking about the, the German constitution to start things off is probably the wrong tone to set. Yeah. The, the, the um, human constitution for everyone who doesn't know starts off with a, what I find a very nice sentence and it's the human dignity shall be inviolable. And, um, he sort of said that, you know, meaning journalists not treating their own players with respect. But the problem is, to me, that was already the first punch into the face to everyone in the Zutkova in Munich who protested against them taking money from Qatar. And, uh, you know, all the human rights violations we see from there. And, of course, it gave everyone a flashback in Germany to Franz Beckenbauer, for example, who's, who said that he did not see a single slave in Qatar and so on. So this is where, to me, the hypocrisy already started, uh, just with that sentence, because if, if you if you start there, then uh, you have a whole lot of cleaning up to do and uh, certainly overthink a couple of sponsorship deals you have and so on and so forth. So to me, if you, if you go that high you know, citing the German constitution, you need to have, you know, a better reason. So this is where, to me, it already started and where I was like, oh, all right, this is going to be good. <laughs> and and then, as you just said, Matthias, um, 
Rummenigge probably actually had a couple of points and, uh, you know, getting a couple of goals against uh, the uh, Springer Verlag and, and the Bildzeitung or whatever is always nice. And I actually enjoyed that. Um, but then also there was just the elephant in the China shop, Uli Hoeneß, then, uh, just going after, uh, Juan Bernat and, and saying that he played like crap and nearly cost him the Champions League was just so disrespectful. It was just so annoying. That was so arrogant and so out of place. And, and, and later journalists actually called them out and asked, yeah, well, are you gonna tone down yourself? And then they were like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, well, about Mesut Özil or, um, Karim Bellarabi calling his tackle insane. And then Oli Hönet, this, I don't know what the argument was. He said I should have said crap instead of shit. I don't, I don't know how to translate it better, Matthias. But um, yeah, basically, and and, and, <laughs> and just saying sorry, uh, just saying that he wanted to just just you know divert from the discussion of racism because that obviously wasn't there. And I'm a great Democrat, and yada yada. Um, first of all. There was blatant racism pointed toward Mesut Özil during the World Cup by a lot of people, and it was ugly. And just to be there, such an important figure in German football, and completely denying that, to me, is just so far removed from being a great Democrat for for the first place. And Uli, Uli Hoeneß really should know better, because he has done, you know, we give him a lot of shit for his tax evasion and from from a lot of nasty things he said but he's also done a lot of good things in his career in his life he has had people so to me he he i wrong. mean we can't forget because of uli hoeneß is a key factor why borussia dortmund even still exist okay we we can't you know bayern basically gave dortmund uh, a loan when a dortmund lifeline. <laughs> a lifeline when dortmund were bankrupt when they were ready to shut down as a club um, back in 2005, and he helped save him. He did it with 1860. He's done it with a few, uh, with 1860. I mean, think about it. That's the big rival locally and a few other clubs. So he's a, he's a, he's an odd character in, in that regards. But to me, I'll be honest, there were points in this where I was just like, what in the hell is going on? And, and obviously there are clear, you know, I tweeted it out, so I'm going to own it. You know, I, I said, well, you know, there are undertones of Trump or Erdogan-like hypocrisies in the tone of what he's saying. I got challenged and said, well, you can't compare the two. One's a politician, one's a president. He's a foot, there's a football club. I, I know the difference. I'm not a moron. Okay. All I talked about is the tone of it in saying one thing. You, you cannot criticize us. We demand the respect of everybody to treat our players, especially the elder statesmen that play here, uh, with no, you can't criticize them. However, we can turn around and specifically pick out journalists, players, coaches, uh, other team sporting directors, by name and call them names, deride them, insult their character, integrity, and professionalism. With all due respect, and since we've already said shit and everything like that, you know, there's going to be the explicit tag here anyway, and I'm not necessarily one to curse, but with all due respect, FC Bayern, fuck off. 
You know, you can't on the one hand ask for dignity and respect and then take respected journalists, not the Springer Verlag, okay, we can all agree what the Bildzeitung is, but respected journalists from NTV or players like Juan Bernat, who's just kind of sitting there like, what did I do? You know, when he's getting <laughs> these kind of shots and, and call them, I forget the exact words, but basically the blind troop of idiots. And then say, oh, you need to give us respect. Screw you. But the part of the whole thing that I thought was funny was, first of all, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge saying, well, maybe we should look at Italy and how well they treat players there. Yes, yes, let's definitely go and see how people get treated in Italy at times, especially by the Italian media or the fact, you know, Calciopoli, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the good one there, Kalle. But the part that I thought was really funny was Hasan Zaliamidic, Brazzo. And um, I listened to a German podcast. I think it's the Sky Sports MML podcast. I haven't laughed so hard in my life listening to that one in German. And they even said, this wasn't Hassan, Herr, Mr. Zalihamidzic sitting there. This was Bratzel. And for those that don't know, that was Hassan Zalihamidzic's, or that's his his nickname, what he's called is Bratzel. And it was almost like Uli Hoeneß was like, okay, Bratzel, you say something. And then Zalihamidzic started talking, saying some things, and then... Well, you're just like, okay, wait, now let me cut in there and what, let me add to this. I mean, it was, we all know that Zalihamidzic was the puppet. And that's why he was installed after Philip Lam intelligently said, I don't want to do this. And it underlined every stereotype we've seen since Uli came back from prison, which we can't forget, in pushing out all the reforms and changes that Karl-Heinz Rummenigge had instilled in the club. And even guys like Michael Reschke, as an example, uh, who helped in the whole transformation process, also when Guardiola was there and all that kind of stuff, and and really pushing out anybody that could maybe have a critical opinion of his lordship, Uli Hoeneß. So it was, it was comical on the one hand. On the other hand, it was deeply disturbing, but they did do one thing for sure. We were all talking about them and not necessarily about the team who came out and beat up a pretty bad Wolfsburg side then on the weekend. Yeah, but still, you know, I think this press conference is going to stick and certainly not in the way they intended because I thought the the reaction of, of um, for example, the Süddeutsche Zeitung Philipp Zeldorf was just amazing because he wrote a piece dripping with sarcasm and cynicism and, and, and basically writing that uh, this was a demonstration of modern football and, and basically wrote 500 words on, on how perfect and brilliant Bayern are just to show them like how an, an article now is supposedly uh, to, to look like according to Bayern and, and just making fun of them. And I think the, the Tuts um, just wrote like Bayern were super, super, super like 500 times or, or so on and so forth. So Bayern got a got a really sharp reaction and I absolutely loved it because that to me is also good journalism and and, and really showing the hypocrisy and and uh, the um the the president of the Deutsche Journalistenverband the, the German Journalist Union um also came out and and said that there's no need why we would have to bend and, and bend over backwards for some football club here like Bayern Munich aren't the shit so that was a really good echo I want to say and I'm a little bit proud of that also that someone uh, actually called them out 
at the very press conference and it was funny how their faces froze and how how Rummenig sort of crossed his arms, leaned back and had this little smile on his face like uh, Ted Cruz gets when, when he's being insulted and really can't get out of it. Um, so that was sort of, sort of funny to, to see them squeam a little bit. S but still, bef before we end the show, we have to talk about just the, um, the general image that, that will leave because I think this press conference will sort of drag on throughout the season and 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 like ring for a very long time so what do you think was the was the intention for Bayern to do this do you think that they wanted to mitigate sort of the uh, upcoming weeks because they feared that Bayern's form would not be all that great going forward because if you turn it around and string 10 wins together you don't have to criticize the media for their reporting because you know everything is going to be butterflies again well, it was very Mourinho like um i think their intention was deflect pressure from the team put it on us uh show unity we're here we're we've got your back players uh underperforming players we've got your back We're attacking the people that are attacking you. And I, and, and that could have worked because we've seen that too. I mean, what was it in 2012? I think it was, uh, Labadia had kind of a similar rant against the media, uh, when he was manager of Stuttgart, where he said, you know, we're not the garbage cans of the footballing landscape, referring to managers and coaches who constantly get personally attacked and i will agree that there's a difference between proper journalism and reporting and then I, i hate the term but call it fake news or whatever the personal attacks tabloid type media which has always been around the sun has always been around bild has always been around they've always embellished or semi-invented stories um and That has always been an issue, and it's always gotten worse and worse and worse. Um, there's a great documentary called Trina, and uh, you can get it in English too on Netflix, where Klopp says, you know, it's a shame that the Kika is becoming more and more like the Sportbild versus the Sportbild becoming more and more like the Kika. And he said, even in the Tats, you know, the headlines are bigger than the story sometimes, and that's a shame because it 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 diminishes good print journalism. But the good thing is, we know. Intelligent people know the difference between the two. And the mistake that Uli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge did is the same mistake that people like Donald Trump do, um, that, that also, that any political zealot, left wing, right wing, you name it does, is they lump everybody into the same thing and say, everyone's crap. They're all against us. They're all making crap up. It's us against them. And that's the mistake that Bayan made is they couldn't even in their arrogance understand their own hypocrisy. If it just would have been a very monotone, neutral, hey, how about we stop the personal attacks? We'll do it too. We'll tone down our rhetoric against certain players. Um, please reciprocate. I think that would have gone down much, much better than than this, uh, for sure. But internally, obviously, they just wanted to show their team, their players, we got your back. Yeah, two things you know it was sort of really annoying that Rummenigge tried to 
you know, state an example of, of uh, what he was trying to criticize and actually just, you know, someone asked a question. <laughs> you know, actually journalism, you know, and how it works that you inquire about an issue you've heard about and, and just ask for a statement or something, you know, that he took as an example for bad journalism and, and unfair reporting, which it certainly not it, it isn't, you know, if you run a story or are building something up, you're obviously trying to ask the persons involved for for a statement or give them a chance to reply or or explain or whatever. Um, so that's the first thing. And the other one, you just said it, it's us against them, right? Um, but the problem is there's, there's this underlying message to the players, like, as long as you're here, you're one of us and we're going to defend you and we're going to jump in front of the bus, whatever. But as soon as you're gone we're gonna throw you under the bus and we're gonna shift into gear and reverse and shift into gear and reverse and and you know break every little bone you have in your body juan bernard and diego costas and and you won't even be allowed you won't even be allowed to come back and cut the grass lota mateos probably one of the best greatest bayern players post the 70s generation or a stefan effenberg or probably a Didi Haman now as well, uh, because they dared to have an opinion, uh, even though I can't really stand any of those guys. But, you know, but like you said, yeah, we've got your back as long as you're here. Once you're gone, you know, it's open season on you. And yeah, we'll, we'll see, Mr. Lewandowski, what happens when he leaves and how he leaves. Yeah, this is probably going to be ugly, but that's also a discussion for another time, Matthias. But I, I thought it was, it was sort of, uh, Important for us to end on a high note and talk about the uh, press conference because it was oh, great fun. And don't forget, <laughs> not... don't forget, Schalke lost again. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I did, and and they they lost spectacularly. I mean, Brim played really well, and now, now we can take Brim seriously and be very sure about Schalke not doing crap this season. So that's nice. Um, I think yeah. they'll do crap. I think they'll do crap. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Very good uh, at that so far. Yeah. Matthias, it was a pleasure. And pleasure here too. We probably we haven't even done a prediction yet on Hatton yeah, though. No, no, I was just gonna lead up to that because I've got more matchday flyers, uh, which you can unfurl and then you have a poster and I got a whole stack of uh, the coolest player on the roster, which is uh Dan Axel Zagadu. Which uh, I will add to the other stack of eleven Roman Burkis and <laughs> uh, Akanjis and whatnot. So, um, people out there, please, if you want to get one of these in the mail, uh, go to our Twitter and Facebook and try to get a prediction right for once. I'm very disappointed. Um, so if you if you get it right, I'll uh, ask you for your address and then I'll send you one over because it's not that expensive and you know it's all fun. So, Matthias, uh, once again, I want to say lead by example, but your predictions have been atrocious recently, so just go for it. Hey, I said 3-0 against Stuttgart. Maximilian Philipp, unfortunately, ruined that for me. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with a very difficult uh, 2-1 victory for Borussia Dortmund. Yep, I don't think Hertha is going to score. I think it's going to be 2-0 yet again. Um, so that's my prediction. I don't know if, if it's correct or not. Probably not. And uh, while you're here, also please predict the um, 
Union game before I will have a more of a preview show on Monday with uh, Daniel Rosbach from uh, Eiserne Ketten, uh, FC Union blogger, which uh, I can only recommend, uh, recommend already because I know he's going to be very smart and insightful about this game. So please look out for that episode. So Matthias, what's your prediction uh, for that game? I'm going to go with a fairly comfortable 3-0. Uh, I don't think it's going to be five, six, seven goals. I think Dortmund, you know, they're going to rotate a lot. 3-0 uh, and then kind of take the foot off the gas a little bit. All right. I predict a set-pace goal for Union Berlin. And with that, I'm going with a 3-1 there. Anyway, Matthias, uh, it's been a pleasure. I think we are close to the two-hour mark if we add the uh, segment with Mark. So, um, yeah. I, I hope listeners are grateful and not say uh, my commute is only 30 minutes long. Thank you very much. Can never finish an episode here. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, Matthias, where can people uh, comment on your rants on the internet? <laughs> I was going to say, I was, do I was doing relatively well. And then, then the press conference came and you tapped into my inner rant again. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I mean, why, why would um, I not unleash that potential? On yeah, this it's true. That's true on that one. You know, I, I, I am all about uh, anyway, is it, it was great. It was super. It was fantastic. The best rant ever. There are many rants in the world, and this was the best, the best rant rants. ever. This is, I know the best rants, and there will never be a better rant than this rant in the history yeah. of rants. Anyway, yeah, Rancy DeVos will be <laughs> part of the you, you rant can, of education. And I'm a great Democrat. Um, yeah. so you I'm can, a nationalist. It's yeah. not a bad word. So, um, uh, all Bayern fans, uh, please send your hatred towards at Matthias Suk. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, if they're still listening. Uh, you can uh, find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. And actually, one last thing before I once again uh, forget. And I hope everyone who is attempting to buy tickets for Dortmund um, is listening to this because I get asked like twice or thrice a day by now. And I should have a pre-formatted text, but I don't. Um, so if you're traveling to Dortmund from afar um, and, and ask me what the best way to get is to get tickets um please just uh, be a little bit patient if you're not a too big of a party like two or three people just use the official fan shop um on or the official website because Borussia Dortmund have reintroduced or introduced a second-hand ticket market that's sort of uh, implemented in their ticket fan shop and what happens is that people buy tickets and then for some reason can't go or sell them or whatever they just do that via the fan shop and then they reappear for sale um in in this online fan shop and then you can snap them up so my advice for you is to just randomly check in if you want to go to a game and i can assure you that there are plenty of tickets even for high profile games still on match day available so do not panic you will be able to get tickets and um what this has also done is that uh, on the uh, quote-unquote black market um, for the people selling the, the tickets in front of the stadium on match day, uh, those uh, prices and rates have dropped because of that as well. So if you are very desperate and cannot get a ticket there, you should get one from one of these guys holding tickets in the air for a relatively good price. It's still going to be like six euros, but 
I guess if you make the trip over the Atlantic or whatever, then you will be able to spend that as well. I know people like to, you know, plan a trip and, and uh, have the ticket secure, but uh, this is also almost impossible to get tickets like three or four weeks before the game. So all I want to say is don't panic. Just go to bvb.com or de slash tickets and, uh, and just look there at, at random times. And uh, yeah, that's my little explanation. I think I'll, I'll give that a couple of times more. Anyway, you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter, my work on ESPNFC. You can get in touch with all of us on yellowwallpod.com at yellowwallpod and is our Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to our show, please do that via iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. And with that, until Monday, when I interview Daniel Rosbach, hopefully... Thank you for listening and goodbye.